Welcome, Chelsea fans, to the Romans Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. So sorry balls officially begun at Chelsea with a clinical yet professional win at Huddersfield away. Our winning ways continue on opening day with us only suffering four losses in the last 27 opening weekend matches. The win on Saturday marked our 17th win within that time. It's hard to believe considering the fuckery that happened at the bridge on opening weekend last year, but it goes without saying. A great win with some great goals and might I add, those beautifully designed classic yellow away kits. I thought they're awesome and I really warmed up to them. What about you, Sam? You know, I, I've never been a fan of the yellows. Um, I thought that, you know, it, it's such a minimal color on our on our crest that I, don't, I didn't think that it, would, it made a very nice, you know, color jersey. Like, I just thought it didn't look nice with our crest on it. But I think this season, I, I'm a little, I'm, I'm warming up a little bit. Obviously, you know, when we win our first match wearing those colors, I have a different opinion of it. Um, right now, those are lucky colors, I guess. <laughs> um, what about these yellows compared to like yeah, the yellows of the past? Yeah, see, that, that, I think I, I don't know because when I, when I first saw it, I was like, uh, you know, first match of the season, I, I was kind of hoping we would wear blue, but obviously that wasn't happening. But um, yeah, I, I. Uh, I don't know. I don't mind it, but uh, you know, this is this is just the you know, and this kind of talk is exactly what people are going to get from the Romans Empire podcast. Just uh, debate on whether you know the kit color was good this past week when we thought about it. Yeah, I mean, we're American after all. Like, yeah. like what do we know about soccer? Stay or tuned. Football? Yeah, Sorry. stay tuned. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I mean, we should just dive right into this Chelsea uh, Huddersfield match, huh? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I'll start off by reading the starting lineup, as I always do. Uh, manning the goal, we got Kepa as uh, his first Premier League start. Um, fun fact, he actually leads the Premier League in um, goal uh, clean sheets per matches played with um, a minimum of one match played. So congratulations to Kepa. Um <laughs> Doesn't that mean he's tied for first? With yeah, Allison? yeah. Well, I'm sure there's other players as well, but yeah, he 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 is tied for first. Allison is also up there. Um, yeah, but obviously he's better. Um, I like the positivity song. <laughs> the back line, um, Dave and Rudy, um, and David Luis and Marcos Alonso, those four manning the back line, and then uh, midfield of um, Jorginho and Golo Conte and uh, Mar- Ross Barkley as well. And then a front three of Pedro, Willian, and Morata. So obviously, um, the first thing to look at is that front three. Um, no Hazard, no problem though. Um, you know that front three. Uh, I mean, Hazard was named to the bench. As sorry, hinted at earlier in this week, but I thought the three of them uh, played phenomenal. And I, I mean, even Morata, even though he didn't score, I think he played really well. We'll get into that more. But first, I kind of want to talk about this back line. Um, I kind of want to talk about Kepa. I mean, he's not necessarily the back line, but obviously a big debut for him. Premier League debut. Um, the 71.6 million pound man. Um, he he didn't get really, he never really got tested defensively. Um, however, you know, he did, the, the one point that, was talked about a lot about his plays that he's very comfortable with his feet and he displayed that a couple times with a you know a good instinct of coming out for a, a lot of balls that were you know a little bit testy um and uh i think he 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 was really confident playing with his feet what do you think zach um i think it's a little early to just kind of make assumptions but um considering that he could only play the opponent that's in front of him mm-hmm, yeah. um, unfortunately it was a pretty poor Huddersfield side um but yeah like like you said he never really got tested but you know there's a few things that I noticed that stuck out to me specifically the first thing was his size um I think with uh goalkeepers like Peter Cech and uh Thibaut Courtois in the past I mean we've been we've always had a physically um large goalkeeper um tall really lanky big wingspan athletic uh keppa doesn't really strike me necessarily as a big goalkeeper he looked a little small um but you can tell that he's very light on his feet he's very quick off of his line um and and he has a ton of athleticism to blow i think moving on um i'd like to see him put on a little bit more weight um just because i think he looks a little lightweight as a goalkeeper in the premier league you're doing a lot of uh you know, you're, you're going to be defending a lot of set pieces. You're going to be getting knocked around in those on those corner kick situations and whatnot. But 
um, you know, besides the whole physical aspect, I thought he looked pretty comfortable on the ball, like you said. Um, I think we finally have a goalkeeper that could play with his feet, um, even though he did misplace a lot of his passes, in the, especially in the first half. Um, as the game went on, he started to find the open man little by little, and he and, and he just looks really, really patient on the ball. There was a few times where he was uh, under pressure, um, and, and he remained calm. He found the open man, and um, he, he started to look more and more, more and more cohesive with the back line. Excuse me. Um, so you know, I'm looking forward to it. I still think the jury's out, but with that price tag um, and what we saw against Huddersfield, there were hints that um, he could possibly uh, be one for the future. Yeah, definitely. And also, I mean, just to go quickly back to the physicality, um, I mean, height-wise, he's noticeably shorter than Courtois was. I mean, you can definitely tell his, there's a new body in the goal because, I mean, just looking at him straight up, it's it's, it's a lot. There's a lot more room <laughs> on that top yeah. bar between him and that top bar. I think when Courtois was in goal. Um, so well, what, well, what's the difference? A good five inches or so, right? I mean, I think so. I think yeah, I think it is a five. Inch I want to say I want to say that's, that's, Tebow's like six seven. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to look that up um, after this. But uh, Marcos, I mean, in the, but let's go back to this back line. In the, when I was naming the, the, the lineup, normally I kind of pair together the center backs and the wing backs. Obviously, we don't have wing backs this year. Um, we have the left back and the right back. We're playing a back four. But I, I actually did group them um, with as Dave and Rudy and David Luis and Alonzo. So the left side and the right side. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's really the way that they play. They pl- they played as you know, kind of the units on the left side and on the right side. Um, so let's talk about that Alonzo David Luiz partnership. Um, in my opinion, the the worst of the two, but still, you know, n- not not that's not that's not taking away from them. You know, the Very other debatable. two the other two I thought played really well. But Marcus Alonzo, I mean, this guy ran his socks off like he always does. Um, a, an amazing link of play. Um, leading up to him winning a vital penalty um, to put us up 2-0 before the half. Um, he, he, he's very on and off. When it comes to him going forward, it depends on you know just the, the day of whether he's, he's going <laughs> to... I like right? it. It's such a lazy comparison, but like, it, I don't know. I got to disagree there. I think, I think when Marcus Alonso knows that there's a that there's a pacey winger on his side, he tends to sit back a little more. But Huddersfield really didn't offer much going forward in terms of the wings. They were getting most of their money up the middle. Um, so, you know. What, I, what, what, what was a lazy comparison? What do you mean? I, I, I don't think Alonso is – I don't think Alonso's performances just depend like on the day of the week like a lot of fans assume. I I, I I think mm-hmm. it's more tailored towards the opponent. Like I said, if if he's if he knows that he has defensive duties against somebody that's uh that's more pacey, he tends not to push forward as much because he can't recover. But Huddersfield didn't really have anything out wide, um. So you know, I I felt like he was he was more comfortable going forward in the beginning of the game, not so much because we didn't really take control until about like fifteen or twenty minutes in. But once yeah. we took control of the game, he basically acted as a left midfielder. You know, it's interesting. I haven't really thought of it that way because there are a lot of. I mean, I I love Marcos Alonso, and I've seen I've seen I've seen enough matches that he's played to know that he really is possessed of a lot of talent. Um. I mean, I mean, I'm, t- I'm talking strictly just going, pushing up, um, playing on the on the attack. But um, I mean, defensively, that that is something that we see again, like you know, on and off. He he he's better some matches and you know worse some matches. But that I don't think has a lot to do with his uh, mentality. It's just you know, it's it's just the moments you know. But when I see him um, not pushing up as much and not doing much in attack. I think that's that that does have to do a lot with the matchup that he's that he's being uh you know marked up against. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that I think the argument is basically that he's useless if uh if he's not pushing up. Um a lot of fans think that way. I, I think he has some sort of defensive ability and I know like this ties into the question you're about to ask me, but I do think eventually at some point this season we're going to see his defensive uh frailties really start to kick in especially against the big 6 clubs. Um, you know, the Arsenals, the Liverpools, the Manchesters, the Tottenham's. Um, but, you know, like against those big teams, when he's going to be playing against pacey wingers or a, or a, 
or a possession-based team where we have to we or we have to you know have long spells sitting behind the ball. He's going to struggle generally, and and we saw that last year. Um, you know, he, he did get exposed on numerous occasions against Arsenal. It's it's going to be really interesting to see because Bellerin loves to push forward, and the last few times we played Arsenal, Bellerin really had Alonso in his pocket for most of the game. Um, yeah, so you know, it, it, it it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. One thing that I that nobody really mentioned, and I actually I didn't notice until I was writing this script, was that Emerson was left off of the substitutes bench. So, mm. you know, that's our backup left back. If if he's not in with Sorry by now, I mean, it's really it, it's looking really bleak. Um, and and I don't think that I'll be comfortable with only having Alonso as our only left back option. Um, you know, going going through the season because I do think he's going to get exposed defensively. And I wonder what that's all about. Um, leaving Emerson off the sub page. I mean, I mean the the substitutions, but I don't I don't think that you that's really anything to read into that much. Um, I still no, think, I think that it's there's a lot. Yeah. yeah, I still think there's a lot of a there's a lot of opportunity for him to fight for that spot. Um, and just going back to the back four thing, um, whether he'll be ex- exposed. Um, if you really think about it, if he pushes up and Dave, uh, is you know just stays back, you know it, it, a, a team is going to be, you know, going up against a back three, pretty much of yeah. Dave and Luis and you know whoever else is back there. If Rudy is back there with them too, um, you know it's pretty much a back three now. Um, as long as um, obviously they they're going to have to shift over a little bit. But you know, it's it's it doesn't seem too different as what we were doing before, as long as you know, because before we had you know we had Victor Moses back there. It's not like he's you know making the defense much better, you know. But it it, it we'll see. Obviously, it's it's not the same. Um, and but you know, I th- I think I think the the way that the rest of the back line played, and we got we should get into that. Uh, really made up for any fears that we have about Marcus Alonso's. Uh, defensive ability because i do think that this match he did play well um yeah. at least defensively but yeah, let's, let's get into david luis a little bit because he he you know did struggle a little bit when defending um on the counter especially when marcos alonso was pushing forward so you know this is just what we were alluding to but um you know something that we we knew about him um his leadership it was really on display throughout the match and it's so important to have um you know, one of your center backs to have a personality like that to really keep the defense organized, um, especially when you got a new um, goalkeeper in. You know, a young guy like Kepa. You need a you, you need a veteran in the in the back line to really organize this back line. And I think David Luiz did a really good job. He was giving pointers to Kepa. You know, constantly organizing, obvious communications with Jorginho as well, who also showed you know a lot of leadership in his uh, you know. In his ability to speak with the rest of the, t- the club, mm-hmm. yeah. But I mean, I don't know, David Luis. That all of that, it sounds great, and I think that you know, there's a lot of you got to take the good with the bad with him. Um, and the bad is we I all know he, the bad. Yeah, I, I think he, he you know he he could <laughs> he could be a, a bit of a liability for us. Yeah. Um, do you think that this liability really is is not worth putting him out there for his you know, character values. Um, I mean, I love David Luiz. I'm just going to start by saying that because I'm, I am about to say a lot of negative things about him, but you know, it, it goes without saying his leadership, his personality and the overall success that he brought the club in terms of the trophy cabinet. I mean, it, it's not something that's going unnoticed, but for me, it was confusing that sorry opted to play Luis and Alonso on the same side. Um, mainly because like you said, when Alonso pushes up because he is going to be, the fullback that pushes up, um, obviously because Aspie's on the other side. But that back line almost shifts into a back three, and Louise never played on the left of that back three. So I think it would have made more sense to put him on Rudy's side and have Rudy play on the left of the back four um, just because when Alonso pushes up, we'll kind of revert to the same exact uh, formation that we had last season where Rudy was on the left. We had David Louise or Christensen in the middle and Aspie on the right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it didn't make too much sense because, you know, um, we saw how exposed we became at times. Um, Huddersfield was able to break break through um, our back line, and, and the gap was where David Luiz um, should have covered Marcus Alonso. He just doesn't have the legs for it, and he's not that type of center back. You know, David Luiz doesn't do us much good when he's chasing the ball. 
Um, he does us good when he's sitting behind the ball and the game's played in front of him. Where you know you got a guy like Rudiger that's just pacey and physically abusive. Um, and I think I think abusive is a good word to to describe Rudiger, especially last mm-hmm. match because he's just so physically dominant. But you know having a guy like that out on the left to possibly cover for Alonso, who is going to be pushing up, does make more sense. You know it, it's it's weird to me how the whole if you look at if you look at our starting lineup, I mean we look balanced in pretty much every area of the field except. Um, the right side of the defense because you know we had our two strongest defenders in 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 Dave and Rudy um, playing both on the right and also our strongest uh, defensive midfield asset in Conte playing on the right hand side of that right midfield as well so you know Huddersfield had absolutely nothing going forward on the right but on the left it was a little bit different you know they were able to pull Marcus Alonso out or catch us in possession at times and counter and David Luiz really suffered because of it um I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Christensen in the future because, you know, if David Luiz keeps getting exposed like that against the bigger clubs, that will punish him and, and, and you know, uh, will be more clinical than Huddersfield. Um, you know, Christensen's name is going to start popping up again. And we all know how much better of a, of a one-on-one defender and how much of a systematic defender Christensen is in, in terms of, you know, just basic defensive principles. And, you know, he could also distribute the ball really well. And, yeah. Uh, Let's not forget to mention Ampadu, who does have an outside shot of getting into this team because, mm-hmm. you know, even though we played well and even though we won 3-0 and it looked comfortable for most of the match, I still think that there's a lot of places in the squad that are still up for grabs. You know, you still have a position in midfield. You probably have the left back and uh, one of the center back positions still open, and you have the whole front three open, bar Eden Hazard when he's healthy. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the season pans out, but Overall, um, you know, it, it was a decent outing by, by them too. I mean, we're making it sound a lot worse than it was, but we're being really nitpicky because there wasn't too much negative in this game. Yeah, and I also thought, just to add on to David Luiz, a couple more positives. I thought he did exceptionally well in building up action from the back line. I mean, that's something that we've seen from him a lot, but of course that's not where our problems with with him lie. Um, but mm-hmm. let's, let's get into... Dave and Rudy, I mean, you, you, you talked about Rudiger. I, is there really anything else to say about their performance? Um, no, I mean, basically Rudiger was a fucking animal and, you know, he was one of the best players on the pitch. Um, I thought he could have had a shout for man of the match, um, just because he was the most consistent throughout the whole 90 minutes, but nothing got past him. And the fact that him and Dave, um, and the, the, the fact that Dave is playing off to his right really helped him play to his strengths because Dave is really good at keeping uh, keeping players contained in, 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 in spaces on the pitch, and Rudiger's very good at attacking the ball and the plays in front of him, and that's exactly what they did. They kind of worked as a little tag team there. Um, you know. But I, I just want to mention really fast, um, one thing I noticed about our back line in general, just the way Sarri's setting them up defensively, is when we are playing um, – when we are playing defense and, and we drop back into our defensive formation, our back four doesn't really play out wide anymore um, like it did last year when we had our back five. We played really wide, touchline to touchline. Instead, now we're compact, and I noticed that defensively, the left back and our right back, um, we didn't push out further than the, than the width of the 18-yard box. Um, and I kind of like that, and, and I, I think it's it's clever on Sari's part. Um, just because it forces the other team to play out to, to play out on the wings, um, but their only real avenue is to play crosses into the box. And when you have a guy like Rudiger and you have guys like Alonso um, and, and and you know Christensen when he's playing, David Luiz is decent in the air. That just plays to our strengths defensively, as opposed to some other teams who do lack you know that 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 aerial prowess that we have. Yeah, um, you know, let's let's get into this midfield three a little bit because. I think that was wow. Uh, way to brush off. Way to brush me off, Sam. <laughs> I mean, Zach, you you pretty much. Whenever I ask you a question, you pretty much address every point that I that I want to say, and there's nothing for me to add. So wow, I mean, normally, normally, say. normally, it's just me like saying, "Yeah, you're right, Zach," or you know, something good. But you know, they they don't need to hear that. They already know. Re- they already I know really, how I feel. I really appreciate this public ass kissing. Uh, whatever, bro. All right, so uh, <laughs> midfield three. Let's get into the midfield three because um, this was one of the most exciting parts of the match for me um, because this was something that I've been waiting to see from the beginning of the season. I mean, ever since the acquisition of Jorginho, I just wanted to see what would happen with N'Golo Conte's uh, play style, and, and a lot did change. So let me first discuss a little bit about Jorginho because his stats were something were, were phenomenal. 66 passes completed. 
93% completion rate, which is actually pretty low for his standards, mm -hmm. um, surprisingly. Um, five clearances, two tackles, um, including one that was actually was a very crucial tackle um, that could have led to a wide-open goal. Um, he played the full 90s, including um, getting the confidence from the manager to step up, score the penalty. Um, we knew this guy was based on the preseason, but um, what is it that you saw that really surprised you about his first appearance? Um, I, I guess what you meant to say was we knew he was good in the preseason, right? What did I say? You said just this guy was based in the preseason. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> he was great based on the preseason. Just a wild guess. But I mean, this of, guy, of course, the question's not on the script, right? This guy um, was something based on the preseason. Fill in the blank. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's obvious. The first thing that I noticed besides, you know, the points that we've touched on um, in, in our prior podcast, but Jorginho is a leader, man. I mean, and I think that's something that's not mentioned enough and that I think it's something that will be an underlying theme for this upcoming season. I think he has an outside shot – actually, not even an outside shot. I think he's one of the favorites to become the captain um, just because he's sorry's guy and we all know that. But you know his leadership through communication was obvious. Uh, he's constantly talking to the back line and organizing the midfield three. There was a few times where he was uh, w where he was instructing Murata and you know just kind of telling him what types of runs to make or or, or when to check to the ball, when to drop off. Um, but you know I, I kept an eye on him specifically in dead ball situations, and you know he's constantly finger pointing. He's constantly bickering to anybody and everybody yeah. around him. I mean. You know, we know that he's Sari's disciple, and we know that you know he's the only player that 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 knows Sari's system 100% at this point. And um, just having a guy like him is a complete asset this season. But you know, I, there's other there's other things that he does that that show leadership besides being vocal, and 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 he shows it on the pitch with his performance. You know, he he's not afraid to throw in a heavy challenge, which I'm very impressed with because you know he did look a little lightweight. Um, but, but, but he's feisty, man. And, and he goes after everything, you know, he doesn't shy away from any tackles. He's a brave player and, you know, he has, he has an incredible engine. Um, we saw him in preseason and we saw him, um, in the first game against Huddersfield, you know, he could run and, and he could cover ground. You know, he, he does, he very rarely gets winded, but I feel like a lot of that goes down to his footballing IQ because he's such a smart player positionally and and he's so aware of where he is on the field that he very rarely has to break out into a full sprint or make these real long 30 40 yard runs as opposed to just a small 10 or 15 yard um a 10 or 15 yard dash here and there so you know there's a lot that I've seen from him that I just love so far and there's nothing really negative that I could say about him um you know like you said you know maybe he didn't connect as many passes as he would have liked last game um but 93% completion rate you know he did everything he could whenever he got the ball he made use of it and you know a lot of it has to go down to the fact that we really didn't get into a rhythm until about 20 or 30 minutes into the game anyways yeah. but uh you know it's just nice to have a true leader in the midfield like that since you know because we haven't had one like that since Frank, honestly. And, you know, Cesc could do it to a certain extent, but he just isn't vocal enough and he isn't assertive enough. And I think Jorginho has more of that about him. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome watching him, you know, directing traffic to the middle of the pitch, barking orders like he's Lampard or JT or something, you know. I mean, it's crazy. The lad's been on the team for a couple of weeks and he's, you know, he already seems like he's been there for, you know, forever. Um no, I, I agree 100% um, with what you're saying. He's a natural-born leader. Um, we actually did a Twitter poll um, uh, for Man of the Match. We had 62 votes total. 42% of them went to Jorginho, who ended up winning uh, our Twitter poll for Man of the Match. So um, congratulations to him, uh, official Man of the Match winner, um, according to our pod. Which Only is, 62 it's, total votes on our Twitter poll? I mean, sheesh, it, we had over 1,100 views last week. Hey, Maybe this is a good chance to plug in our Twitter. Yeah, I mean, our, you, if you guys are Twitter listening, handle? yeah, it's, uh, what is it, the Romans Empire? Or Roman, Romans Empire. Uh, yeah, Romans Empire. Come pod. on, Oh, my Tom. God. Yeah, I don't know. I'm the, the I'm, the one, I'm the one who made it, and I remember the first, like, two, three episodes, um, you got it wrong every time, and I would give you crap. Yeah. So now it, yeah, it's it's yeah. deserved that you, you give me crap for messing it up. Yeah. I'll take that. So, um. We, we talked about Jorginho being able to drop back. Um, obviously, uh, you know, any, any rational Chelsea fan, when hearing this, they'll think, oh, what happened to N'Golo Conte? Is he gone? No, he's not gone. 
He's actually <laughs> he he's actually in, he's new and improves. In fact, uh, so maybe the old N'Golo Kante is gone. Maybe they are right because we have a new N'Golo Kante, my friends. He, he he's like a he's like a center right right midfielder. Like he, he doesn't play like a defensive mid. Um, his new advanced position, N'Golo Kante, the scorer of goals, the winner of World Cups, the man, the myth, the most charming legend with the most cute smile of all time. <laughs> Man. He, he scored on the first the first match. He he's on pace to you know being the leading school scorer. Well, actually no. Um, on on pace is uh. I think it's Mane, isn't it? And, yeah, and, yeah. And Mane, Pereira Mane from scored two. Watford, I think, scored two this hey, weekend. But hey, he he he's on pace to to be one of the one of the one of the top goal leading scorers. And I said last week, you know, you're, he's not a kind of guy you'd expect ten goals out of. But I mean, I think that. I think that if if he's going to be playing like this, obviously that goal took a little bit of luck. You know, everyone counts, but he scuffed the shit out of it. Didn't he, he? he did. Right? <laughs> he, he hey hey he hit it straight into the ground, which is what you're supposed to do right there. He gets the goalie, you know, a little on his heels, and it went right over his head. Picture perfect. It it it, it he is so good that he made it seem like he scuffed it. That's how good he is, Zach. Oh wow. And, a little uh, optimistic and, there. And, it's okay. And, and, I, and I got something to say too, Zach. You know, a lot of people were complaining. This is the first match. <laughs> this is the first match of the game and we're not going to have the best player in the Premier League start. Well, guess what, Zach? The best player in the Premier League did start. And Golo Conte, and that's Ooh, his name. Bold claim. That is you know, a bold claim. I'm not going to argue with that because, I mean, we always had this argument last season where – or not even an argument. We were both in agreement about this, but – Hazard is our most talented player. He's literally our best player, but N'Golo Kante is our most important. Yeah, and we also and, talked. To, yeah, yeah, you're right. I sorry, think I think Sari's done such a good job with the way he set this team up because he doesn't undervalue Kante, and even though he took him out of his natural number six position, he moved him further up the field and is utilizing him in a way where he could still use his strengths to his benefit and. And, and, and it's just nice to see, you know. I mean that in terms of Ingolo Conte is pushing forward now, and he trying to win the ball in in the opposition's um, defensive third, which is something that we haven't seen lately. You know, Ingolo Conte is usually the guy that sits right in front of our back line and just breaks up anything that comes near him. Well, now he's pushing up, he's pushing further up the pitch and causing havoc. And I just think he's criminally underrated at going forward. You know. We always talk about how he's this cute little man that just has like this vicious tackle on him, but like, you know, he, he he's such a good defensive player, and nobody talks about how good he is at going forward. So it bothers me because he could dribble the ball, he could carry it forward, but he could also find he could also scope out passes. He was picking out through balls out. I was like, whoa, I haven't seen that before, mm-hmm. or I'd like to see more of that. And you know, it's it's just something that I'm really looking forward to as the season goes on. I know I sound like a broken record because there's so many things that I am looking forward to. But I do think that by the end of the season, we'll be having this conversation of Art Jorginho and N'Golo Conte, the best midfield pairing in the Premier League. And they could be. And I think they will be. And I also think they will be one of the best midfield pairings in Europe. I mean, mm-hmm. call me crazy, but, but you know, obviously Modric and Cruz are just absurdly good. And, and I don't think – I think they're untouchable at this point. But, you know, I, they could be up there. Um, and, and they definitely could be in the uh, in the conversation. So something to look forward to oh, for N'Golo. You know, it's a good it's a good sign for Chelsea when their fans are delusional about how, how amazing their club is, because there's there's weeks where we think that you know this is the worst club ever. We're shit. I don't know. No one knows what the hell's going on. And then there's weeks like today, or like this week, where we think that we got every every decision right. And Golo Conte and Jorginho is going to be the best midfield pairing in the world. Uh, you know, it's 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 just literally it just depends on how this past week happened. It completely just like changes how we feel about the club. But from yeah. what I mean, you, you think you you said the top midfield duo, but obviously we have a three man midfield. So we got to talk about this third third guy, um, Ross no, Barkley. Sam's in top form today. Ross in terms Barkley. Of the transitions, Thanks, man. Thanks, man. I mean, I, it's all it's. I, I needed a little bit of help with the math because I remembered, you know, there was a three-man midfield and we had two, so I had to subtract two from three to figure out 
how many people um, were left. Ross Barkley. Genius. Ross Barkley was that player um, this match. Um, also, we saw a little RLC in that position. So we'll talk about both of them. Um, let's talk about Ross Barkley a little bit because that's my guy. Um, but, you know, he, he did start off pretty well, but uh, you know, he ne- didn't necessarily light the game on fire. Um, you know, I think at times he drove forward well. He, he, he you know, just always looking to get forward, which is really nice. And, you know, it's something that we would really hope to get out of a guy like him um, when considering the other two guys that are playing midfield next to him. Um, you know, you need a guy to be able to, you know, look look to drive forward. Um, yeah, we've definitely been missing goals from the midfield, and I think that, you know, if he stays healthy, he could, he could provide that. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been a goal-scoring threat ever, you know, throughout his career. He can score from a lot of different spots on the pitch. But um, I think he, you know, a lot of Chelsea fans, they need a lot more patience than I, than, you know, <laughs> than you have no I, I i i definitely wear that incorrectly because i have a lot of patience for him everyone's got to have the same amount of, of patience as i do because um well, you know he goes centric yeah it's it's not that it's just that i i have a lot of invested in ross barkley man i i gave a really really bold take when we first got him that you know this would be one of the best signings 15 million rios 15 million pounds yeah um you know so underrated and I've been all about Ross Barkley breaking out on Everton the past couple of years, um, so I got a lot riding on him, and yeah. you know it's it's a double win if he uh, if he you know breaks out one you know it's good for Chelsea and two I'll get to say I'm right and you know what other what is there any a better feeling than that? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> no, no. So Ross Barkley for the sake of uh, my emotions, let's uh, let's get it together a little bit, lad. Right. Um, and uh, maybe I'll, I'll allow you to, to talk about RLC because that's your guy. I think I think yeah. we can officially just uh, we can we declare, can yeah declare yeah. Ross Barkley is my guy, RLC is your guy, and just make that like a feud going on. Yeah, I, it, look, here's cool. the thing. I mean, they're both Chelsea players, so like if you know, I I, I obviously want both of them to succeed. Uh-huh. But like RLC has just, I mean, he's been on the cusp of breaking in through the first team for the last three years. It's about damn time that he does. I mean, it was good to see him come on early in the second half. By the way, isn't it crazy that you could make a substitution before the 80th minute? I, uh, it's just – I mean, from watching Chelsea the past three years, I wouldn't have known. I mean, you look like Mourinho and Conte. Those guys never made any changes until at least like mid-70s. But I think I think Loftus-Cheek came in like midway through like – I think it was like the six between like the 60th and 65th minute, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but so enough you know. time to actually impact the game. That's what you're saying. Yeah, and and oh. that and that's what I like. I mean, Sari saw something wrong, something that he could fix, or something that Loftus Sheik could have offered, and he put Loftus Sheik on for Ross Barkley because of that. That's what we need. We need managers that adapt and managers that that change things on the fly. And I think Sari has that about him. But anyways, going back to Loftus Sheik, because I'm getting too excited. Um, you know, he, he did look dangerous with the ball at his feet when he came into the game. I mean, you know, there's a lot of times where he received the ball. He was able to turn or shake off a defender because he's fucking huge. And then just decided to run at the defense and find an open pass. I mean, that's what he's good at. We all know that we know Loftus cheek is at his best when he's running downhill. Um, but you know, defensively, I mean, you alluded to it last week, Sam. he looked lost at times and I'm not. I'm not going to go out and say he's a lazy defensive player like a lot of Chelsea fans would. Um, and I know, some you kind of fall into that camp of like, yeah, maybe he, he's not lazy, but maybe he could work harder. Um, but I disagree. I think Loftus-Cheek does have something about him defensively. Um, I just think he looked lost. He doesn't know Sarri's system. You know, he's only been training since the beginning of last week. So, you know – you could give him the benefit of the doubt in that in that in that sense. You would say that he was Ruben lost his cheek. Oh, oh man, man, thank you, thank you. I'll be here all week, everyone. You just you you were in top form, right? And now you were in on goal, and you just shanked it about ten feet over the bar. So yeah, <laughs> so, um, so uh, I'm smashed. So are, are you calling me Maranta? Are you calling me Maranta? Oh man, yeah, Zach. But, you, know, um, you know what I saw the other day that I just wanted to remind Chelsea fans? Do you remember? that game against Manchester United when Fernando Torres uh, 
went on a, a breakaway with the goalkeeper, did a nice move, and it was just him in the goal, oh, and he shanks it to the left wide of a wide-open goal. Oh, mm-hmm. man. You, uh, it, Chelsea fans who, who do remember that faintly, I, I just need you to re-watch the video just to bring back the emotion of how you felt when you first saw it live because I forgot how I felt. Rewatching it really helped me remember just how I felt in that moment. That was, and then okay. I was like, okay, if he can make it through this, so can Morata. You know, I mean, he scored one of the biggest goals for us in all of you know Champions League. So I, it's, it's, I have hope for Morata, man. They're very similar, though. <laughs> obviously, not like you know. I mean, Morata obviously, doesn't wear the number nine anymore, so I don't yeah. think we have to worry about that. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that might have to be a little bit of the reason why. But I mean, obviously, Fernando Torres was way more established um, as a player when we got him. But um, I mean, by the time we got him, a little bit older. But I think that it's it's just going to be a comparison until he either becomes good or until we get rid of him. <laughs> I, I, I think agree. So. With it. So sorry, think, you you were talking I mean, about RLC. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I I, 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 I think looking looking forward, I think Loftus Cheek and Ross Barkley, as as much as we talk about their physical attributes and the way they play, how they're similar, I think I think Ross Barkley makes more sense if we need to be uh, tactically disciplined in terms of defense. Um, I think he just gets back more. I I think Ross Barkley understands that you know when we're in possession, he's a number ten, but defensively he's more of a number eight you know he he has to drop back and 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 make these recovering runs and I think you know with Ross Barkley he is a little bit more agile than Loftus-Cheek so he you know he could kind of turn around and make a five-yard dart a little bit faster than Loftus-Cheek could so I think that helps us defensively I mean I know it sounds stupid you know what are five or six yards on a pitch that's you know uh, 120 yards long but you know those situations do help and in tight matches those could be difference makers and sorry is the type of manager that'll notice that um but you know loftus cheek does look like he has more about him with the ball on his feet you know i've never i haven't it, it's almost it's almost unfair that somebody his size is able to be like technically sound yet strong and balanced as loftus cheek is you know, it's it, it, it's completely unfair. I mean, there was one point where I think it was Pritchard went into a challenge with Loftus Cheek, and Loftus Cheek just kind of stuck his leg across, and Pritchard went flying, like you know, he just bounced off of him like a pinball machine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, something to look forward to. I don't even think I have to ask this next question because you're Ross, Ross Barkley's your boy and Loftus Cheek's my boy, but you know, we still haven't seen Kovacic, so yeah. I'm really interested to see what he has to offer. And I, and you I know, think that eventually. It will be Kovacic who will be that third person. Yeah, um, and I think that's fair. And I'm, it, I'm, I'm just, I'm really worried about that, um, as like emotionally for myself, because I don't want to get too attached if he, if he goes back, if there's no option to buy at the end of the loan, um, because it doesn't look like there is, and I don't think but, there you know, is. Florent- but... Florentino Perez always gets the price he wants for his players, and I think he, he I, I think he was, you know, that's a master stroke. Yeah, not putting in a. Oh, yeah. uh, a clause in there to buy him because I think next summer he's off for sure. I yeah, mean, I'm not gonna. Did, did you see his tweet that that the, he sent or the Instagram post? You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Instagram post where he, it see it sounded like he it he sounded like it was a permanent transfer. Yeah, like he, he, I don't think he, either he doesn't know that it was just alone or he really doesn't want it to be just alone. You know what I mean? Um, I think he doesn't want it to be alone. Yeah, and I don't want Real's looking at either. midfielders right now. I mean, I think Thiago's linked with them, so I mean yeah, that's something yeah, yeah. to an eye on but yeah i want to get into this front line because i want to finish up the huddersfield match um just something you know i want to talk about pedro and lillian first yeah um do you remember zach you remember the beginning of the season where both of them were supposed to leave the club beginning of transfer season yeah the beginning of the transfer season yeah yeah yeah. uh (laughs) and look at them now man i mean i'm just so happy that they didn't because Clearly, they have so much to offer to this team and to this system because um, the two of them up front. I mean, I was I was so energized and revitalized by Pedro's performance. Um, obviously, I mean, I think that it was so easy to just imagine William fitting into Sorry Ball so perfectly. I mean, what do you think, Zach? How do you, how do you think comparing these two players? How do you think they'll get in? Um, how do you think they'll get on during this season? I think William's just the perfect fit for sorry ball because you know technically 
he's one of the best on the pitch. Um, no yeah. matter who he plays, he, he's pacey. He gives decent service, but you know, in one v one situations where play does break down, when we are in possession and William does get isolated, he has the ability to beat a defender and create. Um, and that's something that Sari likes. He he likes his wingers to be versatile. He likes them not to be one dimensional, but rather, you know, capable of adapting to different games and and, and different opposition. And William offers that. You know, and those things you listed being ta- technically brilliant, pacey having you know, a decent service, 1v1 genius. Just watch N'Golo Conte's goal, and you'll see all four of those characteristics on full display in just that one like 30-second highlight. Yeah, I mean, it, it was simple. Just a quick switch, Willian 1v1 with a defender, and he just burns him and plays a ball into the box, and next thing you know, we score it. Yeah. That's, that's the type of player that we need. But again, you know, Willian was playing off to the left, which is his stronger position. So you know, you know, and I know when Hazard comes back into the first team, he's probably going to be deployed on the left. I don't know. I mean, um, I mean, Hazard was playing in the middle a lot, and I I wouldn't be surprised to see him play as a striker. I mean, and we, he got put in into the end really pretty late, and he had one run down the middle of the pitch, and I thought he looked so natural being there. Um, but well, I mean, well, well it is him. natural he, for him. He's I mean, big and he's thick. <laughs> I, he, I, I, he, I like him there. He always starts on the left but cuts inside. Yeah. And, you know, he, he has, like, that free role to just do whatever the fuck he wants because he's that good. Um, but, you know, I, I want to talk about Pedro really quick because uh, he is worth mentioning. L- let me let me just clarify to to the keyboard warriors, you know, that, that, that hate on Pedro <laughs> and that we're asking why we signed him to a contract extension. Mauricio Sarri clearly has a plan for Pedro. He was his main guy during the preseason, and now we're seeing it. We saw it in the first game of this season. He loves to have a winger who's like William, who's technical, who could beat players 1v1, who could create. Um, But on the opposite flank, he loves to have somebody that could cut inside and make those diagonal runs in behind a defense and, and, and kind of fill in the lanes, to use American sports terms. Um, and, and put himself in good goal scoring positions. He always possesses that goal scoring threat, whether you like it or not. You know, he, he makes those forward runs that stretch defenses. He could finish in more ways than one. I mean, we haven't even talked about the finish. It was beautiful. Like I, I, I was, I celebrated like loud, loudly in my house because it was a seven o'clock kickoff, seven in the morning. I celebrated really loud the first two goals that we scored, the PK and then Conte's goal. But when Pedro's goal went in, it was more like I didn't scream. I didn't feel this over – like this complete excitement. I felt relief. I honestly felt relief because it made me remember how good Pedro was in the title-winning season, Conte's first season in charge, and and how many crucial goals he scored. But the thing with Pedro is that he doesn't only score crucial goals. His goals are beautiful. He doesn't mm-hmm. score an ugly goal, does he? No. And it's very rare that you find a player like that, and it's usually a special player that only does that. But Pedro scores these beautiful goals, and I think he has a lot to offer this Chelsea team. Even at 31 years of age, I still think that he'll be able to get us. You know, if he becomes a squad player, I think it's I think it's completely reasonable to to, to say you know he'll be scoring somewhere between eight and ten goals this season. If he stays in the in the first eleven, he might even be in the double digits. So you know, we saw it's Conte's first season in charge. He had what nine goals, and he was playing in a defensive system. Now we're playing attacking football. I mean, Pedro's just going to flourish. Um, and, and, and it's not a surprise because, you know, we see the way that he was deployed under Pep Guardiola um, at Barcelona, who plays very similarly to Sarri. Um, so, you know, it's just something to look at. Um, I want to speed through Morata really quick, Son, because we are running out of time. Yeah, but please. there's a lot of negativity on Twitter for Morata's performance, but also a lot of positivity, which is something that we haven't really seen yet. Um, you know, I, I thought he held up play well. You know, he got himself into good positions. You know, in the second half, the first half, he kind of struggled because there was a lack of service for for big big stretches of the first half. But the second half, you know, he really showcased his technical and passing ability. You know, there was one play that stuck out in my mind where, you know, he received this ball. He received the ball back to goal. He, he shrugged off the center back for for you know a, a quick a quick split second help from uh, Huddersfield midfield Huddersfield's midfield came um wow that was a mouthful but you know he kind of got he kind of got double teamed and he did like this really nice pullback move where he just like quick techers just like three or four touches really fast in between the players 
got away, got tripped up, and drew a foul. I mean, that was just like that's what he could offer us. That was a glimpse of what type of player Murata is. You know, he, he could score those beautiful headers. He could make great runs into the box. But at the same time, you know, he is starting to become capable of holding up the ball and being a true target man number nine type player. Yeah, and, that's... And, and we didn't see a lot, a whole lot of flopping and rolling around during the matches like we usually see. Some of the stuff that really pisses me that's off. That's huge. Um, yeah, I mean, this is kind of maybe a sign of him growing up a bit. Um, especially, you know, playing in the Premier League. This is something hey, that... He's a father now. Yeah, you know, he, he's he a father of two. Yeah, he but, grew but, up you know, it sounds It sounds ridiculous, and it sounds like, you know, like I'm just saying not to be funny, but like that, for someone that young, because he is around our age, what is he, like 25 now? Um, you know, he, that, 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 that will mature him on and off the pitch. So, I mean, we already saw him change his jersey numbers. So now he's, now he knows that he has his son's birthdays on his back. So, mm. you know, maybe that could mature him. Maybe being a father could, could could translate onto the field. You know, maybe now he'll start working on his craft a little bit more because he has to support a family as as opposed to supporting just one person. So just something like random and kind of lame and cheesy. But like I think that I think that that could have a positive impact on the way he plays. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, I think that's enough talk for that match because it was it was really nice to finish. I mean, to start off the mat, uh, season with a win. Although it wasn't against the strongest competition, it's always nice to start off with three points. Can only play who's amazing. In front of you. Exactly. Um, next, uh, next up, we're gonna we're gonna go through some team news. Uh, we're gonna do this a speed round format. So Zach, I'm just gonna read you a couple headlines, and I quickly want you to give me your opinion in just a, a few sentences. All right. Okay. So kind of we're doing like speed dating. All right. Um, so obviously I'm the, I'm the really hot girl you want to get with. So, uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> save the, we'll save the best questions for last. Uh, Charlie, uh, so the first question or first topic, uh, Charlie Musonda, um, I mean, he's going to be loaned out again, rarely pe- appeared in the preseason, um, played his final preseason match with the developmental squad. Um, we're just waiting for a significant loan offer to come his way and pro- possibly one that can offer European football. Zach. Let me get your opinion. Um, I don't think I gave up on Musanda yet, but I do think that you know if this next loan spell doesn't turn out well for him, the clock is ticking, and I think he's gone. Um, you know the fact that he didn't show up in the preseason is big. Um, I think it just indicates what Sari thinks of him at this point. I mean, it's clear he has talent, but you know he needs another loan, and not to a team like Celtic. I was really hoping that he could get loaned to a Premier League team, but obviously the window's closed. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, he gets loaned out somewhere in Germany because that's where you know players that that uh, Premier League loanees really succeed um, in terms of foreign leagues. So you know we'll see what happens. Hopefully, uh, Loftus Cheek does turn down the Schalke loan, which we'll talk in a little bit, and we maybe we could offer Masanda instead. All right. Uh, Baca not good going on season loan to AC Milan, uh, reportedly $5 million loan fee with, uh, reportedly 35 million option to buy. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Zach, what do you think? Um, I think he's as good as gone as long as Maurizio Sarri is the manager of the team. Um, I think it's imperative that Chelsea put in a 35 million option to buy because, you know, he struggled last season acclimating to a new country, a new style of football, and he's doing that again this season um, by going to Italy. So, you know, um, hopefully, you know, best of luck to him. I hope he does perform well. And, you know, um, I won't be surprised to see him gone at the end of the season. I'm actually expecting it, especially with our depth at the midfield position right now. Right. Um, this one's – well, we'll just talk about well, – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change order a little bit. RLC, so reports indicating that Schalke – uh, the German squad are interested in taking him in on loan. Um, reportedly, RLC is rejecting uh, a loan and reportedly just wants to stay and fight for his place. Zach, your thoughts about that? Fuck yeah, that's my thoughts hey, on that. Yeah. I'm so glad he's staying. <laughs> is that one <laughs> sentence? Mean, yeah, that's it, one sentence. If if he is gonna stay, um, I'm glad he's doing it because this is the season for him. I don't think Loftus Cheek is gonna have much patience left if he doesn't make his breakthrough this season so i think he's gonna i think what he's thinking is fuck it i'm gonna try and make my breakthrough this season and if it doesn't happen i'm gonna look to move elsewhere yeah and the last the last part unfortunately batsman dunna dunna going on loan um 
Loan to the, the Batsman. You just did. You just did the melody from. Dunna na dunna. Yeah. That's the oh. yeah. That's the Drake the Drake song, right? Uh, wow, well, you didn't do the real one. What is it? What is the real Batman one? That didn't no, sound no, like the real Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did the I did the the Skepta version. Yeah. I don't think that was Skepta. Who was that? Was it Gibbs? Batman. I think it Whatever. is. Whatever. Whatever. And that is a Drake song, right? Yeah, it is a Drake song. All right, so, uh, Batsman, going on loan to the Bats of Spain, uh, Valencia, which I thought was honestly amazing. Like, I mean, I know losing, you know, give, sending him on loan was really upsetting, but I was actually really happy about the fact that he was going to Valencia because you know the Batsman and you know they're the, the Bats. And apparently, uh, there's a 50 million option to buy. There's been conflicting reports whether whether that option is actually there or not, but we're gonna go under the assumption that it is. Unfortunately, I don't know. I I don't want to assume anything. Zach, what are your thoughts? I mean, I guess it was too good to be true for Batshuayi and Loftus Cheek to stay in the squad um, this season. Um, but if I had to pick one of the two to go out on loan, it, it would have been Batshuayi. But I I know we were harping on it last week. We really thought that this system and the way sorry plays would fit Batuai's game because you know there is going to be a lot of service to offer uh the number nine um and Batuai is I mean he's arguably a better finisher than anyone else we have in the squad in the box so um kind of bummed out to see him go I'm not gonna lie it is really a I thought this was a season for him um I think he's at the age now where you know similar to Loftus-Cheek you know this was his season to make his breakthrough and the fact that he's going out on loan again, I think, indicates that a future move might be on the cards. Yeah. Won't be surprised if the fifty million option to buy is uh is uh triggered. Or yeah. if it's true even. That totally ruins my preseason prediction that he'll be our leading scorer this season. Um but I also I did look it up and it's gigs. Um you're right. Gigs. Yeah, it's gigs. Um but I remember I was supposed to look up something else and I didn't. I'm I'm happy that my priorities are um in order and I looked up that one immediately. Um so let's let's we have about like ten minutes left to, you know, discuss this Arsenal match. You know, uh, we we shouldn't we shouldn't dedicate too much time to the squad anyway. Um Arsenal's shit. Everyone knows that. Just kidding. But not really. Um so let's talk about the new arrivals. So obviously, um Une Emery from uh, PSG um, coming in as the new manager, um, they also got Socrates, Lichsteiner, Lucas Torreira um, from Sampdoria, um, Matteo Guindos, who's a, a Guandauzi, Guandauzi from uh, he's a defense, center defensive mid from Lorient, um, who Zach really likes, and uh, Berndolino, who's a, a goalkeeper from Bayern Leverkusen. So, Zach, um, what type of football will we expect to see under um, Emery? You know, the, the the first thing that sticks out is, um, you know, Unai Emery is the type of manager that prides himself on squad fitness. Um, his teams are fit and his teams run, um, which is something that we're not used to seeing from Arsenal um, because Arsene Wenger would normally set out the most lethargic, lazy, defensive setup known to man every single match. Um, it was almost like he was giving the other team the license to score three goals on them every game. Um, but, you know, like like I said, you know, Unai Emery is completely the opposite. You know, he builds his teams from the back forward. Um, and, and, and I think it showed. I mean, I think his first summer signing was Socrates and then Leno following right after. So, you know, that just goes to show that that's how he builds his teams. And, you know, the, the Premier League has seen success um, or at least Chelsea has seen success in building their teams a similar way. You know, I'm not trying to draw a parallel between Arsenal and Chelsea, but – I'm just trying to prove my point. I, I actually rate Unai Emery as a manager, um, but he's going to deploy a high press and utilize the wings as the main uh, providers of the attack. Um, his sides always play out of the back, um, which Peter Cech got absolutely destroyed for by Bayern Leverkusen, actually. Uh, it's a funny story. You guys should look it up. But um, yeah, Bayern Leverkusen basically shot on Peter Cech for his poor distribution. Um, but there's, you know, he, he does play a 4-2-3-1 against City specifically i thought it was interesting you know a lot of talk pre prior to the season that abama yang was going to be the one coming off of the left um and and lacazette was going to be uh manning the manning the front line um by being the lone striker so um you know 
interesting that that wasn't the option. Um, he actually went with Ozil and Mickey out on the flanks, um, you know, to, 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 to help create, which didn't work because they lost 2 nothing against City because Arsenal sucks. <laughs> um, but I just thought it was interesting that Aaron Ramsey was playing a little bit further up the field than he than he normally did under Wenger. He was used as a number uh, as a number 10, but oftentimes dropped into a 4-3-3 when they were, you know, in a long spell of possession and just to free up Ozil and Mkhitaryan's defensive duties. Um, I don't know, you know. I think, I think there were spurts in the Man City match um, where Arsenal did dominate, but I also thought City looked really um, rusty at times. You know, I, I thought City wasn't up to the pace um, for large portions of the match, even though they scored fairly early. Um, but you know, it's definitely going to be a year in transition for Arsenal, just as it is for us. Um, but I still expect us to go in there next weekend and 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 get a result against them. Yeah, I mean. I think that Emery was really good for him, uh, for Arsenal. Um, I mean, the players that they had from before, I think that it would have struggled. Um, I mean, not necessarily the fittest squad from last season, but from what you said, uh, the players that they brought in, I think they do really help out with, with this play style that he wants. And, you know, as, as far as, you know, being one of the most fit squads in the Premier League, um, which I wouldn't be surprised at the end of this season we'd look at them and, and be saying that. Um, Zach, uh, I mean, do you think that, that he's a good signing for them? I mean, as much as I hate to say it, yeah. Um, I actually thought Arsenal had a decent offseason for once. Yeah. Um, you know, they, for once. They purchased the right players for the right system, um, and they have a manager that's that's won before and, and, and a manager that's – also managed big names as well, you know. Although at PSG he, he did fail in in the Champions League, but you know he he did coach Neymar after all. You know he coached guys like Verratti mm. and and Edinson Cavani and whatnot. So, but I don't know. I I am gonna shit on Arsenal because I can't say only positive things about them. But you know it, it it's just funny that. Their approach is, is a little bit different to ours. I think we're trying for once. We're trying to build something that's that we're going to sustain. Um, and I think they brought in Emery um, as a coach that's going to make more of an instant impact as opposed to sorry because you know they're in Europa League too. And Unai Emery won three consecutive Europa Leagues with Sevilla. Um, he's a serial winner in that competition. And I think Arsenal's board looked at you know all the acquisitions that the other big clubs made this season and said, well, shit, I don't think we're going to be able to finish in the top four. I think our best chance of getting into the Champions League next season is through the Europa League. What mm-hmm. better guy to hire than Unai Emery to do that? Um, whereas Chelsea, you know, it, it, it we do look like a club in transition, but at the same time, I mean, we went out and purchased Jorginho. We brought in Kovacic. You know, we up we, we didn't necessarily upgrade our goalkeeper, but you know, we we had a big goalkeeper signing. Um, I mean, Arsenal in, in looks Kepa, like they, so. Arsenal looks like they're more of a more in of a transition than we are right now. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. They definitely do. Don't get me wrong, but I just think that appointing Unai Emery was more based on winning the Europa League as opposed to competing in the Premier League. I think Arsenal, I think Arsenal looked at the Premier League and just said, well, you know, I don't think we're gonna be able to compete with them this season. So let's go for the Europa League. And you look mm-hmm. at the players they signed, and everything indicates that. They signed squad players. You know, they, they, they signed a combination of squad players and up-and-coming talent, guys that do have Champions League and Europa League experience. I mean, I'm looking down a list. You know, you got Socrates. You got Licksteiner. Um, you know, you got Bernd Leno from Leverkusen who has Europa League experience as well. You know, Unai Emery. That's, that just screams to me that, hey, we're going to go after the Europa League this season. That's how we'll get into the Champions League, and then we'll build from there in the next window. Well, that would be very unfortunate for Arsenal if their intention was to win the Europa League, because I don't know if they heard or not, but this season Chelsea will be participating, so obviously that comes I hope ours. Arsenal make it to the final and oh, play us man, that would be so an bad. Amazing, so bad. Amazing game. That would be hilarious. Um, so I guess that, that kind of preluded into it what are your predictions for the gooners this season will they officially be relegated is this this season uh, <laughs> <laughs> i hope that the premier league will be a better be place without him the without premier league them. will be such a a better place but <laughs> you know 
I think uh, without the zipper on the sidelines oh. and Arsene Wenger and those ugly, unfashionable, disgusting, long-ass jackets. Rest in peace, Arsene Wenger. Rest in peace, Arsene Wenger. Wanker. Wanker, whatever. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I- I'm going to say they're going to go for six in the Premier League, and I'm going to root for them throughout the whole Champions League as long as Chelsea's still in the competition so they can meet us in the final and we, we can smash them. In Europa League, excuse me. Yeah, definitely um, in the Arsenal Champions League. <laughs> because that would, it would just be so funny. You know, Arsenal signs Unai Emery and they sign all these nice young up-and-coming up players and they really go for the Europa League and then we just shit on them in the final and they finish outside of the top four and have to suffer another season in the Europa League. And then Ozil throws another hissy fit and then it, that whole team just spontaneously combusts like they usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, who are we to talk with Chelsea? But Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I can't see a top four finish for this team this no, season. No, me neither. Like six, seven, I think that is more realistic because they're in a transition. I, you know... I, but they I, but I, they are in a better place than they were last year. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's, that's the main thing. I think it's a step in the right direction for them. I'd say about a month or two ago... Um, I had a very strong feeling that we would finish underneath Arsenal, but I think um, just the way that our our club has the moves that they've made in the past month, um, I do think I'm pre- fairly confident that we finish on top of them on the table. So uh, not too much to worry about that. No, not much is going to change. Um, so let's let's get some quick match predictions in, Zach. Um, I mean, they don't have a fit left back right now. You know, Monreal, Kolasinac, I think Maitland-Niles picked, uh, picked up a knock against City. You know, so most likely it'll be Licksteiner out on the left, and he's not a natural left back, and he's also 34 years old and not very pacey anymore. Yeah. So I think we could just absolutely tear him apart on that side. I so won't you, be surprised. you think Pedro will start again? I think Pedro will start again, and I think Pedro will give him a hard time, but I, we're going to see a lot of Hazard playing on that side because Hazard will just take him to school every single time. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go I'm gonna go 3-1 Chelsea. I don't know if we keep a clean sheet because our back line didn't look um, – th- th- there, there were a lot of gaps, and Arsenal does have the quality to, to score at least one on us. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think you know we're going to be riding high. I mean an impressive 3-0 win at Huddersfield, good start to the season – all the players seem to be on the same page. They all know, you know, they, they all seem happy for once. And, and and we're starting a season without any controversy for the first time in God knows how long. So I think we're going to continue our strong start to the season 3-1 Chelsea. Yeah, and I think most times when we play when we play Arsenal, it seems like they pl- they're on top of their game and we're playing, you know, down to their level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um so you know, I, I don't expect much from Arsenal matches from our squad, but I do expect to win this upcoming weekend, and I think it's going to be a two-one victory. Not quite as yeah. confident as you, but it's only—it's not because of the team that we're going to field. It's just specifically because of the circumstances. It's against Arsenal, and this is a match that we tend to to stoop down to their level of play a little bit. Yeah, um, historically we struggle. Yeah, and so. um, you know, you 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 talked a little bit. I kind of want to do a little transition but you did talk about you know that that weak you know left left back position for arsenal and it would be really nice to have you know another winger on the right side besides pedro um we do kind of have one in victor moses um this kind of goes into with our uh our last part we have a twitter question from um another one of our super fans one of our two super fans (laughs) uh whatever his name is angry chelsea at, at Ch- angry chelsea fan yeah um, so he asks what to do with victor moses i don't think he cuts it as a winger for a top eight side i agree with you by the way i think he's best suited as a bellerine style right back surprised there hasn't been a market for him christ's sake we paid 25 mil for zapacostas surely he could fetch that uh I pretty much agree with everything he said. Um, you know, I, it was obvious that the second we appointed Sari, you know, Victor Moses is just doesn't have a place in this squad. He's not good enough going forward as an out-and-out winger, um, at least Chelsea quality, and he's not a natural right back, um, and he's definitely not going to beat out Aspilicueta to that starting spot. Um, you know, and it, and and we've seen it. I mean, Zapacosta does have a little bit of an edge here, surprisingly. You know, as much as we shit on him. Um, he is a natural right back. Defensively, he is better than Victor Moses, um, and he's also Italian. So maybe that has something to do with, uh, you know, him being included more often in the preseason than Victor Moses did. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I don't know if we'll necessarily sell him because Victor Moses does strike me as a player that would be happy with a squad role. I think I think Victor Moses is what is definitely the one guy that doesn't that that didn't take all those uh, starts and appearances for us the last two or three seasons for granted because yeah. you know he really shouldn't have been starting every single match for us, but he was anyways. Um, and, and, you know, and, and he won what two trophies with it. So, yeah. you know, more power to him, but I won't be surprised to hear him be limited, uh, to, to hear him be okay with being limited to a squad role. Um, and even if he does stay and fight for a place, even if it is at the winger position, um, I think still think Callum hudson Adoy is going to beat him out to that spot just because, you know, Callum hudson Adoy is just, just a supreme talent. <laughs> and I, and you know, if you would think that, you know, just Victor Moses's play is something to get annoyed about. It's also him holding back um, CHO. So, I mean, that's definitely something that uh, we're we're looking at. But I mean, yeah. I, I I still love Victor Moses. You know, no no, you know, I, it's all love for him. I think he's an amazing player, and he's a great. You know, he's been. A great I think he'll blue. be a great squad player. Yeah, I could see him coming in on. But but, but the but thing I is, will he be happy? I, I, think... I know. I don't think so. I think that there is a market for a player like him, and I do see him playing right back for you know a lower tiered squad. Obviously, not a winger for a top eight side, as um, angry Chelsea fan has has very well stated. But you know. He's he's not he's he's a very talented player. It's just you know, there's players that you know, th- they're put into roles where they're not they're not expected to play in, and then or not that they shouldn't be playing in, and then people look at them like they're busts, but in reality they're just playing in the wrong role in the wrong team. You know, you can send them off to somewhere else where they're you know their their role is more accustomed to their talent. Well, and, I think if he does um, go somewhere else, he's going to be a right winger. Cause that, yeah, cause he has to be. That's what he did when he was on on loan at Stoke and at Liverpool. He has to. I mean, yeah. but, you know, it's it'll be nice. It'll be nice to see him playing winger for another team. But I just yeah. don't think that that team is Chelsea, unfortunately. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. It, he's he, still, did look, he's... he did look good in that Nigeria kit, though. Yeah. Oh, God, that, that kit was so sick. Yeah. Oh, man. But – um anyways i think that's it zach yeah yeah that's it we've been talking too long um make sure you guys follow us on twitter um at romans empire pod um we've had so much interaction and you know we talked about last week we finally hit the 1000 view mark we actually hit 1100 last week and this week uh we were just shy of a thousand so it would be great if we could podcast uh, tell your friends anybody that loves chelsea let them know um you know we love hearing feedback uh just as much as we love giving our opinion uh, because we want to make this pod with this podcast better for you guys you know the reason why we made it is so we could open up this dialogue between you know we could open up this dialogue from just me and Sam to the rest of the Chelsea community all over the world, um, especially the United States. So, um, yeah, make sure you guys give us a follow. Look for us on SoundCloud. We're on third-party apps. We're on iTunes. Um, you can email us, RomansEmpirePod at Gmail. If you have any questions or comments or concerns, anything you want us to talk about, let us know. Keep us in the loop. Um, but, yeah, until next time, keep the blue flag flying high, and we'll uh, we'll see you guys soon.